Welcome to the Operation Crest podcast. I'm Ava. And I'm Luke. And we are the co-hosts of today's episode. Operation Crest is an effort from the 957 Project to empower high school students like us to preserve memories of America's veterans and to share their stories of courage, resilience, service, and teamwork. Each of these interviews will be donated to the Library of Congress to be preserved for future generations. You can hear other episodes of this show wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to stick around at the end of this episode to hear us reflect on what we learned during the following conversation. Learn more at OperationCrest.org. And now, let's begin the show. Today, we are interviewing Lieutenant General Deanna M. Burt. General Burt is the Deputy Chief of Space Operations for Operations, Cyber, and Nuclear, United States Space Force, the Pentagon, Washington, D.C. As a Chief Operations Officer, Lieutenant General Burt has overall responsibility for operations, sustainment, cyber, and nuclear operations of the United States Space Force. Lieutenant General Burt entered the Air Force in 1991 as a distinguished graduate of the Air Force ROTC program at Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University. Her career has included numerous satellite operations and staff positions in Air Force Space Command and U.S. European Command. The General has commanded the 2nd Space Operations Squadron, the 460th Operations Group, and the 50th Space Wing. She is a graduate and former instructor of the U.S. Air Force Weapons School and a graduate of the School of Advanced Air and Space Studies. Prior to her current assignment, Lieutenant General Burt was the Commander, Combined Forces Space Component Command, U.S. Space Command, and Vice Commander, Space Operations Command, U.S. Space Force. Lieutenant General Burt, welcome to the show. Thanks, Luke and Ava. It's great to be here. So I'll start us off with the first question, and that is, what caused you to join the military in the first place? Uh, That's a great question. So uh, I had aunts and uncles uh, who had been in the military uh, during the Vietnam era when I was a kid that I interacted with, but I really had no one in my immediate family uh, who was in the military. I joined the military for, as many military members do, for the college money. Uh, So I played a lot of sports in high school. I took a lot of AP classes, uh, but I was not a uh, Michael Jordan of any particular sport nor uh, a Rhodes Scholar, but I was solid across the board and was able to, in the late 80s, as we started to look at in the 1980s, to bring more women into the military. Uh, I received an ROTC scholarship for engineering uh, at Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University for ROTC uh, and got to do that for four years with the understanding that I would serve uh, four years in return to pay back for that college degree uh, and that I would do a STEM-related or science, technology, engineering, or math-related field uh, within the, at the time, the Air Force. Uh, And so it really was about school money because my parents couldn't afford to send me to college. It's how I went to college. Um, you can see that now 30 plus years later, I'm still here. So I obviously really enjoyed it. Uh, I thought I was going to do my four years uh, and finish, but I fell in love with the service and with the mission uh, and with what we do every day and the people that I worked with. So here I am. Uh, but it was a great opportunity for school and it's proven great for school throughout my career. I've received three master's degrees uh, from the military over the course of my career for different courses. Uh, and degrees that I've been offered. So uh, a great opportunity to learn and continue to learn and take education throughout my military career. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, What was your favorite memory from serving in the Air Force? Uh, I think both serving in the Air Force and the Space Force, uh, my favorite things are always when uh, you're in a command opportunity. So as you heard, I've commanded uh, four times. 
at every level. Those are, are always exciting. And why they're exciting is because that's your opportunity to lead uh, our nation's uh, sons and daughters. It's also the opportunity to really make change in a mission area uh, because you're the commander. You're ultimately responsible for the execution of that mission set. So uh, all were really exciting, a lot of responsibility, uh, a lot of hard work, but working with some really great folks uh, and leading great people would be my uh, fondest memories if I look back on my military career. Uh, that's fascinating. Uh, how did you climb the ranks to become a Lieutenant General of the Space Force? Uh, that's an interesting question. So I think uh, everybody should think about when you come into the military, there's obviously certain things as you uh, develop and progress as an officer that we want you to do uh, to help you be competitive to, for promotion. And, and the first and foremost is about performance and hard work. Uh, and, and I would say I had that in spades across my career, the opportunity to command and be successful at command uh, throughout my career has helped me continue to progress. Uh, and then a key thing that I think is important for everyone is I have a philosophy that when you stop learning, you stop leading. So school and education have been important to me throughout my career. So you heard that I went to the United States Air Force Weapons School as a student, and then I stayed and taught at the school. I've gone to the School of Air and Space Power Studies. Uh, again, another year-long school. I've gone to developmental education, both uh, one at Air Command and Staff College and the second at National War College. So in all cases, the school and then multiple degrees throughout my career, uh, I think have helped me uh, continue to grow as a leader and made me successful uh, and offered the opportunity for promotion uh, competing against my peers. So hard work, education, uh, and continuing uh, to take op command opportunities when offered would be what I would say has me where I am today. I really like that philosophy. How are your experiences in the Space Command or the Space Force different from your experiences in the Air Force? Um, I don't think it's really interesting. So the, the differences are, I, I hope uh, the audience recognizes, I mean, we have stood up a new service in the United States military, uh, and this is the first new service we have stood up since 1947. So uh, pretty interesting times to stand up a brand new service. I've been a space operator my entire career. That's how I, what I came into the military to do on the Air Force side. So when we decided uh, in December of 2019 to stand up the United States Space Force, they basically took all the space operators that were in the Air Force and they became the nucleus in the beginning of the United States Space Force. So. Um, it's been really exciting to be on the ground floor of history, literally. I mean, I want you to think about 1947 as we separated the Air Force from the Army uh, after World War II. This is very similar in, in historical times. Um, I often have to like pinch myself like, hey, yeah, I'm really making history every day that I show up and put on this uniform. Uh, but it's an amazing opportunity. Uh, and the amount of work when I was in the Air Force absolutely was rewarding and valuable, but to be part of history and the standing up of new service, I think is what's really exciting and different and be part of that establishment uh, from the ground floor. That is incredibly interesting. And it's kind of actually really crazy to think that in our lifetimes, like in our respective youth lifetimes, there's an entirely new branch of the US military that has just sprung up and will become a fundamental part of the uh, US military. And it's incredibly, crazy to imagine that the last time that occurred was almost 80 years ago. Yep. Um, so my next question is, did you ever mm -hmm. have an interest in space before joining the Space Force or doing your respective work at Embry-Riddle? Oh, absolutely. Um, I am a Space Coast baby, which means I grew up in Florida 
Uh, I was, uh, my parents, I was born in Louisville, Kentucky, but my parents, due to my mom's job, we moved uh, to Jacksonville, Florida when I was in the sixth grade. So I grew up through all of the shuttle program era, uh, watched those launch. I mean, at school days, we would leave class, walk outside and watch the shuttle launches. Um, it was just incredible. And so I knew from the beginning, I was interested in space. Um, a lot of the, you know, as I got into the military and saw that opportunity with a STEM degree that I could go into the space uh, career field within the Air Force, that was absolutely my choice. Um, I did really well in college and they offered me a pilot slot. Um, I did not want to become a pilot because I had flown many times. I'd gotten great incentive rides on a couple of fast moving airplanes, but not in my heart what I wanted to do. Uh, I really wanted to do space because it just was really exciting to me that that what's in the unknown, what's out there, how do we operate uh, and live out in space and do mission? And that's where I really wanted to go. Uh, so what I would also say is, you know, to be an Air Force officer and to say you don't want to be a pilot um, was probably uh, for many of my instructors and peers looked at highly because, again, that was the the primary mission of the Air Force was flying. And to say I wanted to be a space operator instead uh, but that's where my passion and my heart were. And I went with that. And, it, and obviously, it's proven to be successful. Uh, so I, that would be my other piece of advice to all of you listening is, you know, there are going to be many people try to tell you uh, what they think you should do or offer you advice on, on what's best. And even as I will, if you ask me those kinds of questions as a mentor. Uh, but bottom line, you have to want to do it and you have to be passionate about it uh, or you're not going to be successful. Yeah, that's amazing how you're able to pursue your passion for space in the Space Force. That's just so cool. Um, so what do your day to day tasks and activities and responsibilities look like in the Space Force? Well, I wish I could say that my day to day tasks are really exciting. Uh, they are in that uh, we're making very strategic level decisions. But to many of you who are who would be watching or look at my calendar, I spend a lot of time uh, in meetings. The interesting part is the who I'm in the meetings with. Uh, so I'm in the meetings with the other folks who are my equivalents at the three-star level in each of the other services, doing what's called an ops step. It's a meeting where we meet and talk about critical operational uh, concerns across the joint force and the Department of Defense. Uh, so having a voice at that table, I sometimes look around and go, wow, I'm, I'm actually uh, in this room with all these other senior decision leaders uh, making choices uh, for the Space Force working with my sister services. Um, I then get to be the plus one to my boss, the chief of space operations, and sit in what are called as a plus one in tanks, which is where the, the chairman of the joint chiefs is meeting with all of the service chiefs and each of the combatant commanders out in the theater. So again, high level decision making and seeing how our nation uh, makes choices uh, from the secretary of defense all the way down in the department of defense. So Again, a lot of meetings, a lot of sitting, not super exciting operational things, but absolutely uh, on the front row of some of the most important and strategic decisions uh, that are being made for the nation. Uh, in my day-to-day -day job working with my staff, uh, as you guys read my duty title, you're like, wow, there's a lot of stuff there, right? I'm doing operations, which are space operations on orbit, taking care of all the satellites that we operate day in and day out that provide combat effects. Uh, not only to the joint force, but also to all of you. I mean, you walk around with a phone that uses GPS. You have satellite communications that allow you to do, do direct TV and other capabilities. Those are all uh, the same types of things we're flying and operating and providing day to day uh, as the military. Second is cyber. How do I cyber defend all of those capabilities? 
the responsibilities of having uh, teams that look at those systems and make sure that all the key cyber terrain uh, for those systems are defended from any hackers that would be trying to hack into our, our space ground systems or satellites. Uh, and then lastly is the nuclear piece. So when you think about uh, international, intercontinental ballistic missiles, uh, nuclear bombers, uh, and your nuclear submarines, they are all connected in communications and what we call nuclear command and control and communications or NC3. So that whole communications network is run by the Space Force. So when we say nuclear, that's my part of nuclear is to make sure that communication network uh, between all of those three elements, bombers, missiles, and submarines are connected all the time to provide uh, those capabilities if called upon by the president. So. A lot of responsibility, a lot of work goes into that, but uh, I wish I could tell you it's more exciting other than attending a whole lot of meetings, uh, but making some decisions that absolutely matter to the, our nation's defense every day. So if I, uh, I remember you uh, discussing how you meet with a group of advisors and also with some uh, higher ranking servicemen and women in your day-to-day -day tasks. And that causes me to wonder, um, have you ever met with any high-ranking U.S. government officials? And if so, who were they? Oh, I've had the privilege over the course of my career to meet some amazing folks. So I was stationed at Buckley uh, Air Force Base, now Buckley Space Force Base in Denver, Colorado uh, in 2012 as an operations group commander there. Uh, and the beauty was that was the election year when President Obama was recompeting for his second term of office. So while there, uh, the president was coming uh, and his staff were coming to Denver quite a bit. Colorado was a contested state in the election, so they were coming there quite a bit. So I was absolutely blessed to meet Mrs. Obama, Vice President Biden at the time, uh, and President Obama himself the night before the election. Uh, so amazingly, just you know, to see those people up close, uh, amazing leaders, great people, uh, personality interactions, uh, just you know, starstruck as you meet those folks. I've also been blessed uh, in the last few years. I've met Vice President Pence three times. I met him as a wing commander when I was at Schriever uh, Space Force Base. I met him when I was out at the Warfare Center as the vice commander at Nellis, uh, and then also saw him uh, again out at Vandenberg uh, for briefings. And it was great to meet him and see him every time. And actually, it got to the point where um, he was like, hey, you're here again. What are, where have I seen you? So it was kind of neat to be uh, visually recognized uh, by Vice President Pence. And then last but surely not least, uh, Vice President Harris, I met last summer uh, out at Vandenberg. I was the commander out there and uh, she came out to do the announcement uh, about that we were not going to do kinetic anti-satellite testing uh, as one of our norms of behavior to protect the space domain uh, and was out there and got to meet her and brief her and an amazing uh, leader and woman and, and great feedback and interaction with her. So. Uh, I get to meet a lot of military DOD leaders every day, but when you get to meet your commander in chief face-to-face, uh, -face, that's pretty exciting times uh, for a military member. Um, and I look forward to hoping to get to interact with those folks as much as I can here while I'm in DC, uh, because they're, they're just amazing people and you learn a lot in getting to know them. And you also get to know they're human too. Uh, I think sometimes you look, we look at all of our leaders and people who are famous and assume that they don't put their pants on one leg at a time every day, just like everyone else, and they do. Uh, and to see their personalities and meet them and get to know them is pretty is pretty neat. Yeah, that's a really cool experience. So what do you think the long-term effects the Space Force will have on future national or international goals? 
So I think space is obviously continuing to grow. It, you know, it started out as a domain, uh, a place where only the military operated, right? And and post uh, in the Cold War, as we talk about uh, how we went into space with the, what was the former Soviet Union. Now we see many companies operating uh, in space uh, and a variety of launch cap providers that are out there uh, that are getting capabilities to space. And a lot of spacefaring nations are now uh, on board. I don't know if you guys are tracking, but there's 7,000 plus active payloads uh, that are being flown around the globe today. And those aren't all U.S. There are many nations and a very many uh, commercial entities that are out there doing that. So what I think is going to change, to your point, uh, is what the global space industry will bring to our economy. Uh, to quote some numbers for you, uh, we think that we're going to be over more than, it's about $350 billion today in commerce in space by oh, wow. 2040 we expect it to be on the order of one trillion dollars so wow. it, is, it is it is going to continue to grow uh, the other piece that i think is really exciting we just announced the artemis crew uh, a few days ago nasa did uh, and i think that's exciting because when we talk about going to the moon and staying uh, i think that's pretty exciting uh, and it lends itself that in your generation uh, where we continue to go to space, Mars and beyond, or wherever we end up, uh, we're going to continue to explore uh, space, and it's going to be pretty exciting times. And so uh, the Space Force will be there shoulder to shoulder with all those civil and commercial entities to make sure that space is free and fair for all and that we can all prosper uh, from that. But I think it's uh, pretty exciting times. And you guys, uh, I'd trade with you in a second. So if either of you want to be a three-star and I can go back to high school and get to start as all this delivers, uh, I think it's going to be pretty exciting. Uh, so I've always been fascinated with space exploration and I want to know what your opinion is on it and I just wanted to ask do you believe we should explore the vast expanse of space before us as technology like advances or should we remain within our own sphere and parameters like the parameters of our solar system that which seems familiar and if so like if we eventually des desire to explore like beyond our sphere what benefits do you believe space exploration can bring to American citizens? Oh, absolutely. Luke, that, I, I'm just like you. I think it's exciting. Um, I think, uh, you know, I'm going to be super nerdy, but to boldly go where no man has gone before. Um, I, I think that's exciting. You got to get out and get into space. Um, we always, as humans, have tried to adventure and explore places that we don't know or that we haven't traveled. Uh, that's going to continue and going to continue into space. And so absolutely, I think we got to go. I think we got to go out and see what's out there and learn. And are there other potential places we could live? Who knows? Uh, but we won't know until we go. And what will we find when we get out there? So I think it's pretty exciting. To your point of what does space bring back to um, the American people? Uh, one thing I'll point out, you know, we built the global positioning system or GPS uh, on behalf of a military function of what we wanted to do to be able to navigate. But now think about that everyone relies on GPS, not only the navigation signal, but the timing signal for our way of life. It's not just about being used by the military. Everyone uses uh, GPS navigation and timing uh, in our day-to-day -day lives. Uh, and I don't think people realize how much they use it. So I don't know if you guys know, but when you go to the gas pump and you put your credit card in there and you try to pump gas, there's a timing standard to that transaction that uses GPS timing to the communication satellite to then do your ATM transaction. 
Um, the New York Stock Exchange is timed by GPS. All of the stock trades are timed by a GPS time. Our power grids are synced using GPS time. I mean, GPS undergirds everything. I, I'm always amazed when people have phones and they're navigating and they're like, well, yeah, my phone told me to go there. Or GPS told me to go there. Well, no, the GPS gave you a point on the earth. You're using a mapping function in that phone using the GPS signal to get where you need to be. Uh, and that's helped our first responders. Uh, it helps with farming. I mean, we've done tremendous amount. So when you talk about what can space bring to the American people, I think near space, when we talk about things like GPS, lots of capability to improve uh, their day-to-day -day lives. Other things as we talk about space exploration. So I don't know if you guys know this. Do you have Velcro on any of your shoes or on any of your books or anything that you have there in the studio with you? Because if you yeah. do, that was born out of the space program, the shuttle program, Velcro. Um, and it, there are all kinds of various capabilities that as space ex exploration goes and they use different things, uh, that that comes back to us. You're both probably not young enough or old enough to know about Tang. Tang is a powdered drink that's an orange juice-like drink uh, that the astronauts used to take powdered this powdered drink to get their minerals and vitamins while they were on orbit because it was light, easy to carry, and package. That became mass produced. And when I was a kid, that was the thing to drink because you wanted to be like the astronauts uh, was Tang. So always things coming back and forth. Uh, some of the discussions um, as we talk about going to Mars, um, differences in battery technologies. We know it's gonna take a long time to get to Mars. So different battery technologies have been being employed in electric cars here on earth uh, in order to build the technology that we're gonna need to get to Mars. Same thing with solar panels on houses. There's technology in that that's being developed such that when I put the rocket together, we put the rocket together to go to Mars, the outside of the rocket will be covered with those solar panels to then re to recharge the battery uh, and get us to Mars. So every day there's capabilities in space exploration that are being developed that, that absolutely get applied to making our lives better here on Earth. So the further we go out, the more we experience what we learn, chemicals, minerals, things we find uh, on other celestial bodies, I think is going to be pretty exciting and will continue to only make life here better. Yeah, that is really cool that like so many things that were developed for space exploration are now a part of our day-to-day -day lives. Um, this next question is pretty similar to what we've asked before. So should we? I think I can, I, I think I can ask, you know, this question. Um, the other thing I would say that's changed about space that I haven't really talked about is, again, we talked about the growth and we talked about the money, right? Well, let's talk about the sheer number of objects, which is, uh, again, in the next 25 to 50 years, you know, what's, what's space going to look like? Uh, you know, we've seen a growth in the last year from 2021 to 2022 of the number of launches have increased by 31% just in a year. And we're on par this year to outbeat that number. Uh, so we're continuing to increase. The number of satellites that have been put on orbit have increased by 29% in that single year. Uh, as I mentioned to you guys earlier, we're tracking just objects, both live and dead and debris about 48,000 objects that are orbiting the Earth's surface. So if you look at the next 25 to 50 years, that's going to get uh, much more busy. How are we going to have um, servicing and capabilities to clean up the domain, to get rid of the debris, to clean things up, to make it easy? I think space travel uh, is going to become more common. So you guys have seen Virgin Galactic and different companies that are doing the commercial space launch where you go 
from one place to another. Wouldn't it be amazing to go from LA to Paris in an hour? That would be incredibly amazing. Think about how much it would save you if you were traveling for tourism versus you're a business person and every hour of your day is a build service. I mean, that that's saving uh, actual money and time. That, and we all know you can't buy back time or at least so far, I haven't built, found a way to create more time. So I, I think in the next 25 to 50 years, we're gonna see again, space travel become a lot easier. Uh, we're gonna see more capability put on orbit. And again, that discussion of out and beyond in the 25 to 50 year mark We'll be on the moon and stay. I would expect we're at Mars by then. Uh, and the question will be how far out uh, into the universe are we at the 50 year mark? But I, I think knowing how smart all of you are and that's in your lifespan, uh, I'm assuming we're gonna be pretty far out there. Yeah, it's actually incredibly interesting to think about what space will look like within the next uh, 25 to 50 years because we're already launching so many uh, spacecraft and other technology into space. So it's only a matter of time before we eventually, you know, reach places where we've never, where humanity's never ventured before. Uh, and specifically, something that fascinates me is uh, two specific aspects of space in the future, which would be uh, space-centered tourism and uh, meteorite harvesting. Because from what I'm aware, me there are certain meteors just floating out in the asteroid belt or just around many other planets, which could have natural resources or other minerals, which could exceed values of around one trillion dollars which is incredible to think about. And then also space tourism is also uh, very interesting. Just going to the moon, just to like stay in the hotel would be incredibly cool. And that's basically a once in a lifetime trip, but maybe space tourism in the future could make that uh, a more common occurrence. Hey Luke, are you ready to join the Space Force? I can hook you up. I, I would be very interested. Is there any chance you could uh, we'll send some further? You should definitely, right. I, can, I can hear the passion in your voice and I can hear the excitement that you have for the mission uh, and the things that, you know, are in the pos art of the possible in your lifetime. And so I, I definitely think you should think about it. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, so I was wondering, so this is a podcast that seeks, storage, seeks stories of uh, courage, resilience, service, and teamwork. Uh, do you have any stories that you're willing to share that relate to those themes? No, uh, yeah, there's one story I think that was the most, I think, impactful in my life. I I had an opportunity um, as a colonel to be um, the air expeditionary wing commander for a large force employment exercise uh, at Nellis Air Force Base. So what that all means in big words is um, I was in charge of about 2,000 folks uh, at a given exercise where we were going to fly a lot of airplanes over the Nellis uh, range in the air and on the ground and various troops uh, and practice, you know, how we would we would fight as a large force. Um, never had a space operator led that organization. It's always been typically a fighter or uh, air officer that did that. And so to be asked as a space operator to lead that, because, again, we were trying to do more space integration of capabilities like uh, navigation, PNT, uh, GPS kinds of things, satellite communications, how if those capabilities are jammed, what does that mean to the guys in the jet? How are they gonna have to respond? Uh, we were trying to bring more of those space effects and space capabilities, which is why they asked me to be the commander and lead that. Uh, but it was about 30 days uh, away from my wing with uh, a hand small team that went with me. And so again, a lot of space focused people went with me uh, kind of out of our comfort zone. 
I will tell you honestly, uh, I asked my four-star boss when he called and asked if I wanted to do this. Uh, I said, well, this is a big risk. I mean, this this could go really well. And obviously it did go pretty well. I'm still sitting here and promoted. Uh, or it could go really bad. So I want you to imagine that if an airplane had crashed or something bad had happened in that exercise, I ultimately would have been the one responsible. Um, so I was very concerned about that. Uh, but I had a great team mixed of uh, aviators and space operators and cyber warriors that were all with us. Uh, and the team really gelled around me uh, from the beginning. No one uh, looked at me funny because I was a space operator. They were all in to help and for the team to be successful. Uh, you know, I think I went in being a little jaded, like maybe I wouldn't get the support I needed, but they were they were fantastic. Uh, and overall, the, the exercise was very successful. Uh, we learned a lot out of that and it was it was great. Uh, I think the one thing I learned on that I would pass to you guys is sometimes when uh, you will work for someone or have a mentor or boss offer you an opportunity, it may seem very scary at first. Like, okay, they're asking me to really step out and take a risk. Um, you really at that point when you're asked have two choices. One is to not accept it, which if I'd have said, no way, sir, I'm not doing this. I, I think he would have respected me and said, no, okay, no worries, you, I'll find someone else. Uh, or two, you take, you know, take the reins both hands and, and jump right in. Um, and that's what I did. And I'm glad I did it. I got out of my comfort zone. Uh, I did what any leader would do. I tried to really work the team around me. I had to learn uh, and build trust within the team and open communication and make people feel included. Uh, and once we got to that, it was just amazing to see what the team could do. So don't be afraid to get out of your comfort zone. Give people some grace and trust that they actually, if you assume the best of people, they will show up that way. Uh, sometimes I worry today, we always assume the worst of folks. Uh, I would challenge you to try to assume the best in folks and you're gonna see that a team will come together, together very quickly when they know you care about their input and their value added to the team. Thank you for sharing that story. That has some very good advice in it. Do you have any more advice that you have for young people growing up in today's United States? Uh, I, I think you guys, and I say you guys in general, I say your generation is smarter than I ever was at your age. Um, the exposure and the ability for you guys to get information at your fingertips and to learn as quickly as you have learned uh, is just phenomenal. I think you're all incredibly, incredibly smart. My biggest worry going forward uh, is, and especially in light of COVID, and some of you guys lost couples of years of your high school time with your friends and interacting, is that human interaction. Leadership uh, and uh, is all about human interaction. It's not a, a digital thing. I can't lead people from a phone. People won't follow me if they don't know me and trust me and are willing to talk and have a communication with me. Um, so the, the digital part is um, what I'm most worried about, making sure you guys are comfortable uh, talking with each other. And, and when I mean talking with each other, I mean having confrontation. So, um, so sometimes I've seen some of my younger folks, uh, if they don't like each other, uh, or they get into a conflict with each other, instead of having the face-to-face -face conversation and talking out what they're not happy with with each other, they will ghost each other. And I know you guys know what that means. It's, I just don't respond to your texts or emails. 
and, and I just ghost you till you no longer try to talk to me. <laughs> um, that, that you can't do that in a real world. There's going to be conflict. There's going to be every day I'm in this meet, in these meetings with very high level folks. We don't always agree, but we have to come to some resolution and we have to come to a compromise. And so each of us gets a little bit of a win, but we don't get everything we want, but we get something that's good enough. And it's not uh, perfect is not the enemy of good. And we make headway and move forward. Um, so that's what I, I think I'm most hoping for all of you is to get out of your comfort zone, make sure you're interacting on a personal level. Uh, you're having hard conversations with each other, but respectfully and, and working through that. I, I sometimes worry you guys are so digitally focused. Um, I've literally watched my stepson sit there next to another another person and they're talking via the phone and not and they're like in the same room. I, I, I know that's cool to you guys, but in a leadership setting that that that's probably not going to work. You're going to have to have communication and conversation with each other. And, I, and again, I'm not you guys are so incredibly smart and, and have so much ability to change the world. Uh, I just hope that that human interaction continues to come through for you guys. That's very inspirational. I'll be sure to take that to heart. In addition to that, is there anything else that you would like to share with us today? No, I would just say thanks for doing these uh, podcasts. These are, I think, are important, not only from a historical purpose, uh, but for you guys to just talk to some great people. What a great experience. I can't imagine all the folks you've gotten a chance to talk to uh, and learn from, and it's important, and you're sharing that experience with others uh, via this podcast. So thank you. I, I know the the Space Force looks for many of you, Luke. I'm really, I'm, I'm ready to take you. You're good. Uh, we're looking for Thank folks you. who are passionate about space, who want to make change and are innovative. And you, you sound like you're right in the wheelhouse. And if there are others, you know, interested in the Space Force, uh, we're absolutely happy to talk to you. I think it's www.spaceforce.gov, I think is our uh, recruiting location. Uh, or you can go through the Air Force uh, recruiters and they'll get you to the Space Force uh, information. Uh, but we would love to have as many of you amazing folks out there that's interested. But thank you for the time uh, and the platform to be able to talk and share about the United States Space Force. Semper Supra. Of course. Thank you so much for, for uh, being on the show with us today. We really appreciate uh, you spending time with us and answering our questions. This is an incredible experience that I don't believe we'll be able to replicate for the rest of our high school uh, career, which... Uh, we both have about two years. We're going to graduate next year, which is kind of crazy to think about. Yeah, so. thank you so much. This was so amazing. You're welcome. Next year, huh? That's pretty cool. Do you guys know what you want to do? Have you applied to any schools? Not yet. Not not yet. It's just kind of floating around. What do you, want, what do you both want to do? Um, I'm still not really sure yet. I'm considering something in STEM because I, I really like doing math and stuff. So, yeah. Math is cool. Yeah. I think I was a class shy in my engineering. The one thing, if I could go back in my college career and redo, I was one class shy of a math minor, just taking my normal aeronautical engineering degree. I was one class shy of a math minor, and I kind of wish I would have taken that one extra math class. But at that point, I was so tired of math, I couldn't do anymore. But um, if you love math, engineering and STEM are definitely up in your wheelhouse. What about you, Luke? What do you want to do? Well, my family has a long history uh, related to medicine, so I was considering being a uh, dermatologist. Like, that's my uh, top profession. Uh, I just want to be a medical doctor of some sort, whether it be like dermatology or gastrointestinology or something like that. But uh, after your the uh, questions you answered related to the Space Force, I think uh, the Space Force would also be a very interesting career path. No, it's, it's, a, great, it's a great place to be. Uh, 
small, flat service, very digitally focused and innovative, looking for a lot of diversity and inclusion as far as diversity of thought and background. How do we get to uh, innovative solutions moving forward? I, it, it's exciting. Uh, and again, it, we're trying to empower the lowest level. And so young folks like you getting the energetic folks in uh, and accelerating where we're headed, uh, I think is important. So if you're either of you are ever interested or you know of anyone who's interested, please let us know. Uh, we're happy to connect you to whoever's needed. I wish you both the best. And if there's any way I can help you, if you need any letters of reference, you need anything, please uh, don't hesitate to reach out. You guys are going to do great things. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, General. All right, you guys. Take care. Have a happy Easter. You yes, too. happy Easter. Have a nice Easter. Thank you. Wow. What an amazing interview. Yeah, that was really interesting. Yeah, I thought it was absolutely incredible to interview General Burt, a uh, Space Force General. That is a once in a lifetime opportunity. And there were some absolutely amazing takeaways from that interview. And I think one of the main staying points that stayed with me, especially after this interview, is that communicate is that communication aspect, like how communication specifically between different people is necessary for effective leadership. Yeah, she had a lot of really good advice about that, especially for our generation. That's starting to transition more towards digital aspects. It was nice to have that reminder to communicate face to face as much as we can. I also thought it was so interesting how we started talking about the future potential for space as like a place where humans can be like colonizing Mars or the moon. It was really cool. Yeah, it's also kind of crazy to think about what humans will like be doing in space in the future with space colonization, tourism, and meteorite har meteor harvesting. And uh, you can see the sort of space technology or technology originally implemented specifically for space being used in our everyday lives, which is fascinating. It was really fascinating how uh, Lieutenant Burt was so fascinated with space when she was younger, and now she's able to pursue that career in the Space Force. Yeah, you can definitely see that. Uh, like the inspiration for the Space Force kind of comes with having like, you know, a desire to, uh, you know, really explore the cosmos and see what's out there and just having like an interest in space from the very beginning and then just having a lifelong passion for like, you know, the universe and what lies out there, which is really, really cool. Yeah. And one piece of advice that really stuck with me from that interview is if you stop learning, you stop leading. Yeah, once you stop learning, you stop leading. Because as soon as you're like passion for knowledge, or I wouldn't exactly say passion for knowledge, but your, your desire to like learn, like just to expand your the parameters of your mind, you, you once you like kind of stray away from that, you like lose your ability to, you know, lead effectively or lead with the same passion you used to have for learning. Thanks for listening to the Operation Crest podcast. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe and share. Today's hosts were Luke and Ava, and our guest was Lieutenant General Deanna M. Burt. The music was provided royalty-free by Coma Media. The questions were written by us, and the editing was done by our teachers. Until next time, see ya!